Thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul. Whatever thou be, until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Lulu. Lulu, I love your outfit. Thank you. And you're talking about how it's different for you. It looks awesome. This shirt is a huge departure for me. Mm -hmm. Huge. But it's great. It's okay, it's right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's ruffles. It's a pattern. It's not black. It's yeah. like I, I don't even know who I am right now. <laughs> uh, still recording a few weeks ahead, so hopefully the launch for the uh, hot, wet, bad magic summer camp went off without a hitch. <laughs> you did it wrong. Wet oh, hot. Oh, wet hot. I always want to say that I, I, I actually scratched out hot and still said it that way. I, wet hot, bad magic summer camp. Uh, if there are still tickets left for this event, for this wet hot event. Wet uh, hot, wet hot. Uh, August 19th to the 21st, you can get them at badmagicmerch.com. And uh, before Lindsay shares charity information, very special merch announcement. Finally, they're here. The first scared to death socks are on the shelves and ready for some spoopy feet. Yeah! Many of you have asked for these, so uh, we, we finally got them made. Happy to say uh, we found a sock worth wearing. Mm-hmm, I love it. Head to badmagicmerch.com to check that out. Don't be sad. They're not fuzzy. But here's the thing that I decided. I want you to be able to wear these socks. Like, wear them out in public. Enjoy them. Show mm-hmm. them off. Tell your friends about them. And mm-hmm. when we got socks from a previous charity, Love Thy Neighbor, out yeah. in Denver, I was like, oh, my God, these are great socks. And so we found out who they were using. And by oh. we, I mean Logan, because he's great. the merch wizard. And these socks, are they're so great awesome but i decided not to wear them today because somebody sent me frog socks which i think is like both funny and rude because you know i'm scared of uh, frogs but these are so cozy oh those are fun they're like sweet frogs i know i'm cold man (laughs) uh so what uh what charity information do you have for us yes i finally numbers i finally have the numbers uh this month's charity is new orleans community fridges and we will be donating to them thirteen thousand nine hundred dollars New Orleans Community Fridges is a collective effort focused on creating resources that empower their communities and support the voices that are marginalized, helping to remove the stigma around food scarcity. Anyone in need of food or drink for any reason can take from these fridges found all over NOLA. If you'd like to donate, host a fridge, stock a fridge, or volunteer your time, please visit nolacommunityfridges.org. And then also on the back end of that, this is the first month that we are feeding into our scholarship fund. Oh, that was the second month. Uh, no, it didn't happen last month because I'm an idiot and I forgot. Oh, so the, so actually the total amount went to the charity and not to it the... Did. Oh. I did, it did. And I was like, how could I fix that? And I was like, you know what? How I can fix it is say that I fucked up. Okay. So whatever, people make mistakes, we're moving yeah. on. Yep. Uh, I just gave all of the money away. It's fine. Someone got an extra $1,500. This month, $1,500 is going into the scholarship fund, and we are funding that. And we'll have more information as the, I don't know what, Cummins Foundation, something, something, scholarship fund comes together. Mm-hmm. All right. It was n- news to me, too. I know, it was news to me last night when I was writing it out. <laughs> I was, like, writing numbers. I was like, wait a oh. second. Did I? 
And then I went back and looked at old announcements. I was like, yep, I sure did that wrong, didn't I? I sure did. But at uh, least I'm confessing now. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, also, uh, we would have been giving to a Ukrainian charity this week, but, you know, recording in advance, uh, you know, we didn't, the situation hadn't happened. Right. When we already, you know, earmarked the money for the NOLA charity, didn't want to take it away, away from them. Yeah, because so, we like reach out, mm-hmm. I reach out to the charity and say like, hey, Next month, blah, blah, blah. And I think that would be so effed up to be like, hi, your community matters less. But next month for sure. Mm -hmm. Next month for sure. So we'll, uh, you know, we're just figuring out which one to give to and monitoring that situation like everybody else. And Mm -hmm. yeah, hearts go out to all Ukrainians. Yes. And uh, and hearts honestly go out to uh, a lot of Russians because Mm -hmm. they are also getting screwed because of, uh, you know, what Putin and his little band of, uh, you know, communist thugs who pretend to be... uh, you know, a, a, a fake democracy mm-hmm. they have going over there. Uh, Lindsay has a friend who um, her friend is over in Russia, and the news they're getting there is just disgusting. Yeah, the it propaganda. Oh, the propaganda is unreal. They are sending actors. I read about that. Uh, actors to Ukrainian villages to have uh, you know them pretend to be Ukrainians and talk about how excited they are to be freed by the Russian heroes. Meanwhile, GTFO. Meanwhile, they're what they're really doing is raiding people's homes mm-hmm. and uh, killing civilians and just uh, beating people and taking. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's awful. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is really, really upsetting. The um, For the people that come over here, though, from Time Suck, I will say the silver lining is that the Polish people are redeeming themselves yes. in your eyes. You yeah. will stop calling us <laughs> Polish monsters. We are helping. No, the Polish have been heroes many times. And once, once again, the Polish people are taking a preposterous amount of Ukrainian refugees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good on, good on Poland. I think the last I heard it was like one point something million yeah, it's like, refugees. Yeah, 1.5 million I heard refugees over two. have left. But yeah, uh, now uh. this morning. Yeah. So, and by the time you're hearing this, it'll be more. So, but we have, uh, we have a different kind of horror yeah, to we, talk about. Now we're going to distract you from the horrors of the mm-hmm. world. With more horror, but, you know, the, the paranormal kind that hopefully is not happening to you right now. I hope so. So, uh, do you have uh, your two stories this week? I do, Daniel. I have two stories. My first one has photos, mm-hmm. which is always exciting. A little something creepy hanging out in someone's house. Okay. Uh, I... Yeah, I'll get into it more when it's my turn, but I was like, okay, don't like that. And then uh, my second story, what is it about? Oh, yeah, we're going to a haunted warehouse, like a um, like a work warehouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going over to the UK, and okay. it's during lockdown, during COVID lockdowns. I was like, oh, th- I, I love this. Because we said early on during COVID, we we're like, God, I wonder how many stories will come out of this. And not... As many came out as I thought. Oh, okay. All right? right. We thought that everybody mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. at home would up the ante. Yeah. It didn't, except for this one. Okay, well, we got we got a good one. There were others, but for now. <laughs> uh, I uh, I have the first one. I, both are, I, th- I have two stories as well, and I think they're uh, especially scary. The first one is the basis for the horror flick, The Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghost of Georgia. Hmm. I haven't seen that one. Neither have I. But the real story is scary. Uh, it's a story of the Wyrick family haunting over 10 years of ghosts and poltergeist activity that began in 1989 in the little town of Ellerslie, Georgia. Hmm. And then the second story comes from Wisconsin, the little community of Washington Island where two women claim to be terrorized in their VRBO vacation cabin by, you'll just have to find out. I've never heard of that place. Washington Island, Wisconsin? Mm, I had to look it up too. And it's uh, very cool. It's just like a, uh, I don't know, two miles into Lake Michigan hmm. um, and look like a cute, very heavily forested little vacation community. Actually, so random, I, won't be, I wouldn't have brought this up, but um, it's a... Uh, 
one of the biggest Icelandic populations outside of Iceland in oh, this boy. little this little tiny town. Take Kyler right away. <laughs> or this little, little island. Okay, so ready to get started? Yes, I have like a stabby crystal guy, so mm-hmm. I just want to warn you that like if you take it too far. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, not much time to settle in on this first door. We're going to get right to it. Okay. Uh, three-year-old Heidi Weirich could see spirits. At least that's what she said. Her parents, Andrew and Lisa, knew not to put much stock in what a small child said. It seemed like every day Heidi was coming up with new imaginary worlds, new games to play with herself, and Andrew and Lisa hoped this was just another one of them. Three-year-olds talked. They babbled. The line between fiction and reality didn't exist in toddlers like it exists in adults. At least that's what they told themselves. If they were wrong, that meant that their new home in Ellerslie, Georgia, was not the fresh start that they'd hoped it would be. Time now for the tale of the Weirich family haunting. In 1989, the Weirich family, Andrew, Lisa, and their three-year-old daughter, Heidi, moved to the small town of Ellerslie, Georgia, population just over 3,000. It was a proud time for Andrew and Lisa. They'd just bought their first home, found a nice town to raise their new family in, and the future looked bright. But then Heidi started talking about the man in the hat. Oh, shit. Andrew and Lisa didn't think much of Heidi's new imaginary friend at first, though Lisa did think it was odd that Heidi had full conversations with this new, quote, friend. When Lisa finally asked her about her friend, Heidi's reply gave her the chills. Heidi said her friend was an old man dressed in a black suit and a top hat. Strange, Lisa thought. Weren't most children's imaginary friends also children? What's your friend's name? She asked her daughter, hoping for something innocuous. Maybe the name of a pet like Fluffy or one of her friend's names from school. Mr. Gordy, Heidi replied. We play outside on the swings and in my room. Again, chills. Lisa didn't follow up at the time with any additional questions and tried to put this all out of her mind. Kids were weird, right? Mm-hmm. They said and did unexplainable things that they didn't remember years down the line or even days or hours later. She still thought that someday this would be nothing more than a silly story that she could tell around the dinner table to embarrass a teenage Heidi. Lisa could almost hear the plaintive, Mom, that would follow. But presently, Mr. Gordy gave Lisa the heebie-jeebies. When they talked in the, excuse me, when they walked in the park or played outside, and often even at home, Lisa would sometimes see Heidi's arm drift up to the air above her like she was holding on to someone's invisible hand. Oh my God. The invisible hand of a very tall person. A person who seemed to be around all the time. Very strange, so specific, but still, Lisa hoped this was just Heidi maybe expressing stress about the move. Maybe Mr. Gordy was some comforting, everything's gonna be okay, kiddo, grandfather type figure she'd thought up, and she'd grow out of it. Years passed, and mentions of Mr. Gordy grew less and less frequent, until by around the age of eight, he seemed to disappear completely, and her parents believed that she had, she had outgrown him. But then out of nowhere, a year or two later, someone else showed up. Heidi was home after school one day when the doorbell rang. She shouted for her mother that someone had rung the doorbell but got no answer. Weird. She could have sworn she heard her mother in the kitchen just a couple of minutes earlier. Then the doorbell rung again, more insistently this time. Heidi dropped the doll she was playing with. How hadn't her mother heard that? Maybe she was on the phone? Heidi knew she wasn't supposed to answer the door alone, but the doorbell kept ringing. It was so loud. It was almost hurting her ears and she just wanted to make it stop. Slowly, she padded down the hall into the front door and cracked it open. A man stood in front of her, no, leaned over her, bearing grayish teeth as he grinned, Hello, Heidi. His shirt was soaked in what looked like blood, and he cradled a bandaged hand close to his chest, though Heidi could see that the bandage was dirty and oozing something. She slammed the door and ran to the kitchen where her mother was looking at a recipe book. Mom! Lisa looked up, brown knit in confusion. Inside voices, Heidi, please. 
No, Mom! Heidi insisted. Her brain was on overdrive, trying to figure out how her mother hadn't heard the doorbell ringing, and the sight of the man's creepy smile kept blocking out her thoughts. There's someone at the door! She gasped. Okay, Lisa said slowly, wondering what had made her daughter so frightened. It dawned on her that maybe it was teenagers playing a prank since it was around Halloween. Let me go see. They went into the foyer, and through the lacy curtains over the window, Heidi could see the man standing on the porch. He stooped over, bending almost in half, until he was eye-level with Heidi. Just a sliver of his face showing through the curtains, and he winked. Heidi screamed. Jesus, Heidi, stop! Lisa said, looking out of the transom. There was no one there. The porch was empty. The street clear except for a few parked cars. There's no one there, honey. Are you trying to play some kind of prank on me? No, Mom, I saw him! I saw him! Heidi insisted. But then when she took her hands away from her eyes, she too now saw that there was no one on the porch. But then she lifted her eyes to the street. And from across the sidewalk, the same man was there. He stared back, lifting his injured hand to give a small, painful wave. In Heidi's mind, she now thought she heard, Do you want to be my friend too, Heidi? She flashed on her invisible friend, Mr. Gordy. Mr. Gordy had been her friend. He'd never scared her. But this man wasn't Mr. Gordy. She knew this man was not her friend. She screamed again and must have fainted because when she woke up, her mother and father were in the other room. He must have come back from work early and they were arguing. I think someone's trying to hurt our family, Lisa was saying. What if they bust in next time? But did you actually see anyone? Andrew asked. Or was it just Heidi? She saw something, Lisa replied. Something really, really scared her. I'm scared. When her parents came back in the room, it was with stiff smiles and cheery voices like nothing bad was happening. That made it almost worse. She thought her mom was also really scared, so scared she didn't want to show it. And she was right. When she wasn't putting on a show of cheerfulness for her daughter's benefit, Lisa was worried about what Heidi had seen. She stayed up at night wondering when the man, was it Mr. Gordy, would come to them next. She was so preoccupied with worrying that Lisa's sister Joyce, who was in the process of moving in next door, commented on it when Lisa almost dropped a lamp she was bringing in. Joyce raised her eyebrows and said, You been getting enough sleep? Lisa didn't want to tell her, didn't want to tell her, didn't want to make whatever was happening to them uh, that real. But she also thought Heidi had truly seen something, maybe a ghost, a ghost that terrified her. She told Joyce about what had been going on, and to her surprise, Joyce listened seriously. If you want, I can call up the realtor and ask about the previous owner, Joyce offered. I don't know what to do, but information is power, right? Maybe if you know something about it, it'll leave you alone. Lisa hugged her sister tightly and agreed. Having someone on her side made her feel better, like things were maybe going to be okay. And then a couple nights later, Joyce called her. Come over, she said. I found something. When Lisa arrived next door, Joyce explained that she'd called the real estate agent and found out that the previous owner was named Kelly. Joyce got a hold of Kelly's information, called her up. Apparently before Kelly, the house had been owned by a man named James Gordy, and he died in 1974. Joyce watched as her little sister's lip began to tremble. What, she asked. What is it? It's him. Lisa whispered, oh my God, he's real. Mr. Gordy. Lisa didn't know what to do next, but she knew she had to do something. Maybe she hoped, clinging to the idea that there might be some reasonable explanation, Heidi had come across the name James Gordy from a neighbor, or heard their realtor say it back when they moved in, even though she had never heard it or forgot if she had. She decided to sit Heidi down and explain that James Gordy, Mr. Gordy, was dead. Heidi was unfazed by this information. She seemed to already know that. And she asked, can we visit his grave? Lisa didn't know what was going on with her daughter, but she hoped that if they just did this, maybe the whole thing might go away. So she dug into some records, found out that Mr. Gordy was buried not too far away in a nearby cemetery. And off they went. As soon as Lisa parked the car, Heidi took off like a shot, the car door slamming behind her. Heidi! Lisa called. Heidi, get back here! 
But Heidi didn't listen. She ran through the open gates, and for a moment, Lisa thought she saw someone standing next to the gate, someone tall wearing a shirt with red on it, someone with large black eyes. Then he vanished. Heidi, come back here this instant! Lisa jogged past a group of mourners, trying to look apologetic as she searched for her daughter. As she ran and ran, looking for Heidi, anger soon melted into fear. What if Heidi wasn't playing a joke on her or just not paying attention? What if something had forced her to run? What if something was taking her? As Lisa sighed, cramped and searing pain spread through her abdomen, she spotted Heidi's jacket. Thank God. Heidi was standing in front of a headstone, and the tracks in the fresh grass indicated she'd gone straight to the headstone from the car, making a beeline for the grave, even though Heidi had no idea where it was. The headstone read, James Gordy. And as Lisa watched open mouth with horror now, she saw Heidi's hand lift up towards the sky, like she was reaching up to hold someone's hand just like she used to. But now she no longer thought it was some imaginary friend. Heidi, get away! Lisa shouted, running to grab her daughter and haul her back to the car. Later, she realized that Heidi had been much heavier than she should have been. She was a little girl and Lisa ordinarily still could have carried her easily, but that time she felt like a sack of bricks, impossibly heavy. Once they were home, Lisa shouted at Heidi until a dazed look in her eyes went away, demanding, Was the man at the door Mr. Gordy? Heidi, answer me. The man at the door, was that Mr. Gordy? Heidi looked scared and shook her head. No. No, Mr. Gordy's nice, she said. That man was Lon, and Lon is jealous of Mr. Gordy because the kids like him better. Everyone's scared of Lon because he lost his hand. Lisa's heart started to pound. The possibility that they'd been dealing with one entity was already a lot to handle. And now it was becoming very clear that they might be dealing with two of them, and that one of them was not friendly. What the hell was happening? Andrew and Lisa didn't know what to do with this new information. They decided to distract Heidi with a new dog, and she loved it. But it wasn't long before the Wyricks noticed that the dog would stare off strangely into corners or hallways and start barking and growling. And then not long after they got the dog, it ran away, and they never saw it again. Oh no! Lisa began to wonder if getting the dog had made the entities angry for some reason, because not long after that, objects started moving on their own. On one occasion, Lisa watched Heidi move to sit down at the table, and at the last moment, the chair was pulled out from under her by an invisible force, flipped over as Heidi fell to the floor. The family talked about moving, but worried that, because the entities seemed to focus so much on Heidi, what if the spirits just moved with them? Not wanting to deal with their new reality, maybe not knowing how to, the Wyricks just hoped that Mr. Gordy and this other entity known as Lon would disappear like Mr. Gordy had disappeared once before. But of course, nothing was just going to go away. And soon Heidi was no longer the only family member having encounters. Occasionally now, as, Lift, as Lisa drifted off into an uneasy sleep, she was now hearing voices above her, whispering about her in the darkness, saying her name. By letting Heidi engage with these things, Lisa wondered, had they invited them into their home? Had they, in a way, brought this on themselves? Again, they considered moving, but it just wasn't a good financial option, and the Wyrick family will end up staying in the house for many more years. And soon another child will be brought into their haunted home. When Lisa got pregnant again, Heidi started telling her parents that something bad was in the house now. She referred to this bad thing as a dark figure that would often appear as a shadow in her room. Heidi said the dark figure would make her room colder and much more terrifying that it could touch her. She said this dark figure had pulled her hair and soon would be cutting her. One morning, Heidi woke up to find three deep scratches on her face and blood crusted on her pillow. Ugh. The next morning, her father Andrew woke up to find scratches on his side, also three of them, and scratches on his face, three there as well. Heidi told her dad that it was the dark figure that had done this to both of them. Lisa wondered, was it Mr. Gordy? Was it Lon? or someone or something else entirely. Just how many things were living in this house with them. 
Despite being physically attacked, still the Wyricks do not move. Then in 1994, Heidi's brother Jordan is born. That same year, a local reporter who'd heard about strange hauntings at the Wyrick home decided to go investigate. But just a couple of blocks away, got such a terrible, terrible feeling, he actually turned around and drove home. Damn. The Wyrick family, for reasons that are never explained, do not reach out to any priests, pastors, spiritualists, etc. at this time to ask for help in cleansing or exercising the spirits clearly living with them in their home. What the? Mm Mm-hmm. While no new attacks have happened recently, cold spots, occasional whisperings, the feeling of being watched has continued. And while Heidi has not seen Lon again, she does sometimes still see Mr. Gordy. Around 1997, Lisa finds out that her son Jordan, now three, also is speaking to an invisible someone, just as Heidi did at that age. Dude, get the fuck out. And it's not Mr. Gordy or Lon. Jordan tells her that he's been playing with a little girl. Lisa hopes that this friend truly is just imaginary, but then Heidi tells her she's seen the little girl too. She tells her mom the little girl is friendly, but this doesn't keep her mom from getting worried. What new spirit is in their home with them now? And will interacting with this spirit lead to the return of whatever that dark figure was that had terrorized both Heidi and Andrew? Now, finally, the Wyricks reach out for help. After consulting with a parapsychology expert named Dr. William Roll, a professor of psychology at the University of West Georgia, who was studying the phenomenon of poltergeist activity, Lisa opened their home to a psychic Dr. Roll recommended to investigate And this psychic confirmed that there was the spirit of a little girl in the house and also a spirit called Mr. Gordy. They did not detect the presence of a spirit called Lon or any unnamed dark figure. The family wanted more answers. They called in a second psychic. The second psychic did not detect the spirit of the little girl, but did claim to detect the presence of Mr. Gordy's spirit and the presence of three demonic entities. She said that one of the demons was trying to live in Jordan's room. A second demon was trying to attach itself to Heidi but that a good spirit was fighting that one off, Mr. Gordy. The psychic also said that the third demon would travel between the living room and the wall over the parent's bed, and that their house was apparently built over some kind of portal, some breach between this realm and another. Now the family finally asked their pastor to come and cleanse the house of evil spirits. A pastor does come to the house, performs a cleansing ritual, but it doesn't seem to work. Shortly after the cleansing, Heidi wakes up in the middle of the night. This wasn't altogether abnormal. She could rarely sleep through the night. What was abnormal was that she woke up with the terrible feeling that something bad was about to happen. She asked aloud for Mr. Gordy to help her, to protect her from Lon, whose presence she now worried about again, to protect her from the dark figure, whatever that was, the thing her parents thought was demonic. Please help me, she begged, and then she saw it. The dark presence was back. It stood perfectly still at the end of her bed. She could both see and feel it, and Heidi screamed. When her parents ran in a room, they found their daughter had been yanked off the bed. The spirit was holding her upside down over the floor, suspended in midair. They could see the shadowy outline of a man, one arm raised, the other arm without a hand. Lon was the dark figure. No! Andrew screamed. Lisa tried to turn the lights on, but the switch wouldn't budge. Heidi's screams filled the room, seemingly shaking the walls. Andrew now felt a searing pain in his own hand. As he looked down at it, he saw a cut form on his wrist. His fingers began to curl and twitch. Then in a flash, everything went white. When Andrew, Lisa, and Heidi came to, the bedroom was illuminated, but in disarray. Furniture was thrown around, the legs of a dresser snapped off. Andrew's hand was unmarked. They all wondered what had just happened. And what if it had been worse? What if one of them had been killed? Andrew and Lisa now believed that there was a ver- this was a very real possibility if they didn't leave this house. Please tell me. They just hoped that when they did leave, the spirits wouldn't leave with them. Staying put meant putting the family unnecessarily at risk, so they did sell the house and moved out as quickly as possible. Finally. 
And from all we can tell, they never encountered anything paranormally terrifying again. Despite seeming to be the primary gateway between the spirit world and this one in her childhood home, Heidi went on to live a seemingly very normal life after her family moved out of that house. She got married, had kids of her own, and after all the media attention her story received, was able to connect with a multitude of people who shared similar experiences of the supernatural, which helped her heal psychologically from what she'd suffered. And now I imagine she just hopes that she never encounters a spirit of any kind again, friend or foe. I am so mad at them for staying for so long. I know that I I, I didn't. How wanna, many years? Uh, I mean, roughly ten years. What roughly the? ten years. It, it, okay, it irritates yeah. me on so many levels because it's like I understand the financial. But they were able to sell the house, right? And also, it sounds like they were weighing out their options. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like oh, we're stuck here no matter what. Like if they had the even the means to yeah. consider leaving uh, then to me that says that you could have left no this was a dare i didn't i didn't want to say darren alert at the beginning massive darren alert but andrew and uh and lisa, lisa? The, uh darren's i think because of the physical attack when it attacked when it scratched her face yeah and scratched and his andrew face and his side and his side after that it's like you've built equity in the home you've been there for a while i yeah. get that you don't it felt to me and looking into the details i didn't even share you know on the story for the narrative purposes it felt to me that it was like yeah it's just a Huge inconvenience, obviously. Yeah, of course. And they like their life in this town, but it's like, well, tough shit in this case when it's so serious, and how they waited so long to get outside help. I yeah, eh. that, I didn't know that they were church people. So when mm-hmm. they say they brought in their pastor, it's like yeah, and they were religious the whole time. You mofo's, you waited what yeah, six, seven, eight years yeah. before you thought like, oh, that might be a good idea. They sound kind of fucking stupid. <laughs> But I'm mad at them. I'm yeah. really, I'm mad. It's so different when there's a child involved. I know. It's like if you want to put yourself mm-hmm. through that, that's totally different. But when your child it's is physically, physically uh, that's attacked, the thing to me. yes, and mentally just line. like distraught like that. Mm-hmm. No fucking way, man. Yeah, go go full Papa and Mama Bear and like yeah, protect them. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if Heidi's mad at her parents for not getting out sooner. Yeah, I know. It seems really weird. Um, here's the, here's the the only picture I could find of Heidi and her parents, uh, Andrew and Lisa taken uh you know a couple years after the family moved into the house okay just like normal regular people mm-hmm. and then uh no address or even good description of the house has ever been released dang it other but i have something other than it was three bedrooms brick possibly one story or probably one story uh it was a subject of an episode of unsolved mysteries but they never released the location however when you do a web search for the wyrick house ellersley georgia address only one address pops up. A home on 288 Swint Loop comes up. So these are just Google image pictures I found of that address. Here's one. The next one is a little bit closer up. Just a very kind of nondescript house. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's weird that that one comes up. Right. And it does fit the description, the vague description. Brick, one story. It looks like it's about the uh, just guessing size-wise or about mm-hmm. the right size. So mm-hmm. maybe that's it. Okay, um, that house... Takes me back to like my childhood. Mm-hmm. It does remind me of like uh, some Cleveland kind of neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks exactly not exactly, but it just like anywhere mm-hmm. in Parma. I yeah, feel like you could find that house. Mm-hmm. And then and then here's the last picture associated. It's just a movie poster for the haunting in Connecticut too. Goes to Georgia. You know the Wyrick family haunting. The true story basis of mm-hmm. that movie. Yep. 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 <sighs> yeah. Oh, I'm so mad at them. And then, okay, like the psychic thing. So they brought in one psychic. Mm-hmm. One thing about getting a second opinion, in my in my opinion, is that you could just keep getting opinion after opinion after opinion until you hear yeah, what you want to hear. I know. I know. I thought of that too. Yeah. So I was like, okay. I do like Mr. Gordy. He seems good. 
Yeah, I he mean, seemed to be like this one positive thing, and that little the little girl mm-hmm. might have been okay as well. Yeah, but lawn. Yeah, yeah. It made me think like, oh, did you lose your hand slash arm in like a lawn accident? Like a oh, I don't know, I don't know. Mm. And and I will say the movie. I did. I haven't watched the movie, but I read the synopsis and summary of the movie. You know, like movies will do, they took quite a few deviations mm-hmm. from the story. So if you've watched the movie, and you're like, um, actually, like, like there's elements that are the same. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, ah, I remember it differently. Yeah, they they really took it into some different directions. Okay, well, that's their sure. creative, creative license. license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, Excuse me. I made this note when we were talking about uh, just like in the beginning, Mr. Gordy used to live there. Yeah. It's like, what a creepy thing that people say, like, when you lose a family member, oh, they'll always be with you. It's like, <gasps> actually, that's a really fucked up thing to say. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Like, what are you just telling them that there's going to be spirits hanging around? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody really means it that way. But no. looking back, I'm like, oh. And I always think, like, doesn't the spirit have something better to do? I don't know. Like, sometimes, like, in my in my head, maybe I'll, I don't know if it's just my nostalgia or memories or I'll have, like, a feeling of, like, Papa War, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I'll want to, like, you know, feel like a connection. Yeah. But I also would never want him to always be around me because I'm like, go, go play, find some slot machines up in heaven. He, go do what you want to do. He did love a slot machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, I think it uh, depends on, like, when you feel them. Like, if you're not yeah. with, if you don't feel them all the time. Hmm. Nah. He's a little prankster, too. He would come back. Yeah, because yeah. it, it would be fun for him. Mm-hmm. I don't think if he was visiting us, it would be because he doesn't have something better to do. I think it's because he's like, this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> like if I suddenly feel like a random bottom pinch oh, and no okay. one's around, I'm going to know it was Papa Ward. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. A little bottom pincher. Uh, are you ready to leave small town Georgia for small town Wisconsin? Uh, yes, except oh. behind you is like one of our dolls that's filled with sawdust. Oh, I know the one. Yeah. And sometimes I can really see it, and sometimes I can't. Just kind of depends on where I position my chair. And man, is he freaking me out this week! <laughs> so if if you see me looking over your shoulder a lot, that's what you're looking at. I'm like, oh, are his eyeballs going to suddenly blink? I got to look somewhere else. But then this room feels—I don't know—that story. Mm-hmm. I kept getting a lot of full body chills. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The one you know, and we haven't changed the the things behind us, you know, really much since we set them up. Mm-hmm. But the one that always gets me sometimes is that painting from the nun that's also mixed with you. Oh yeah, from Brent. Mm-hmm. That one every once in a while, just ugh, I keep waiting for the <laughs> eye to move. Uh, it's good, good and spooky. Good, know, we, good tone setter. We do have some new stuff on the shelves. I've just been sprinkling it in. Oh, oh. we got this new like voodoo doll guy. I got oh this yeah, new the voodoo doll crystal doll dagger. Oh, I got like I got this like red heart crystal. Oh, and actually on that stuff, thanks to the um, Creeps and Peepers sending uh, stuff in and um, was talking to Logan. We're going to catalog things a little differently uh, going forward. Which, Are we now? Hmm? Uh, lo- Nobody, nobody told to. me. I, I just, we had a talk yesterday. So hmm. we'll be able to like on, you know, certain gifts, you know, uh, thank people by name. We're, we're working on it, you know, just uh, refining how we do all, everything. There you go. Uh, okay. Are you ready to, uh, ready to leave? Nobody asked me what I thought about that. <laughs> this is my company too. I know. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. Yes. Let's go to where are we going? Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. What's that island called? Washington, Washington Island. Island. We did into a very we dig into a very odd and disturbing modern something encounter uh, right after today's mid show sponsor break. Thanks for supporting the sponsors that support the show. Creeps and peepers. No setup at all for this one. So yeah, we just go right into the story. The author of this post left no details as to their identity other than posting under the name uh, A and M. I'm assuming that they are the Akiko and Maria uh, featured in this story. Time now for the tale of what's outside the windows. <laughs> Maria and Akiko checked into their VRBO Lakeside Washington Island cabin on a beautiful, warm and sunny August day after taking the short ferry ride from Northport. 
They'd stopped in at Appleton for lunch on their way over from Madison, and it had taken them about six hours to make the trip. A long ride, but an easy ride. They'd cranked up their favorite tunes, listened to a few episodes of their favorite podcasts as they enjoyed the start of a little mini vacation. Do you think they listened to Scared to Death? Maybe. Well, no, this is before us, I think, Uh time-wise. The feeling I get. Maria worked as a professor for the University of Wisconsin, and classes will be starting up again in a few weeks in early September. Akiko had opened up a print shop the previous summer, and while her business had been picking up recently, it had been a real grind the past year to get it going. Long hours, employee problems, very mm. little money. She'd worried uh, she'd have to close it all down that spring. Then she landed a few ongoing contracts with a couple locally based companies. And now it looked like her new business venture was going to be worth all the money and time she dumped into it. In the middle of getting her business off the ground, after dating for over two years, Maria had asked Akiko to get married. She'd said yes. And after getting engaged, they'd moved in together in May. And then they almost immediately started planning a wedding for the following summer. So while life had been good, very good, it had also been real busy and they were both worn out. And now they were both really looking forward to a nice four-day weekend of R&R in a cute little two-bedroom cabin on Lake Michigan on a sleepy little island of gift and ice cream shops and bike and boat rentals and not much else. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. It does look like a cute place. Their cabin was a good hundred yards from any other homes, surrounded by thick, lush forest on three sides and Lake Michigan no more than a hundred feet past the front door. It was beautiful and it was quiet. Nice and isolated, just like they'd wanted. Neither had ever ventured on the uh, over t- onto the island before, and they both had just hoped it would live up to the pictures online, and it certainly did. It was maybe even better than they'd imagined. They were at the end of the road their cabin was on, so there was no reason for anyone else to even drive past. They'd surely see boats cruising by during the day, but at night, it should have been serenely calm. Should have been. They'd loaded up with groceries in Green Bay and wouldn't even have to leave the cabin if they didn't want to until Sunday morning when they'd grab a ferry ride off the island and start the journey home. They brought plenty of wine, a few board games, and they each had a good book to read. Expectations were high for getting a lot of rest, hopefully more than a little sex, great no needing to rush anything sex, and just recharging their batteries before returning to the grind of their day-to-day lives. After settling into the cute and clean cabin and pretty modernized little cabin, they barbecued some burgers, ate dinner outside, then dragged a pair of beach chairs down to the water's edge, opened a bottle of wine, and read their books while listening to some music on a little Bluetooth speaker until the sun started to go down. After heading inside, they'd thought about making some ice cream sundaes, but just the right amount of wine and rest kicked in, and a little bit of kissing led to just the sex they were hoping for, first on the way to the bedroom, then in the bedroom. After a few minutes in the bedroom, Akiko noticed they'd never shut the curtains in the bedroom window. God, anyone outside could see everything they were doing. Literally everything. Oh my God, she yelled out, laughing a bit. We're really giving the world quite a show, she said as she started to push herself off the bed, but Maria grabbed her. No one's out there. Stay right here. Are you an exhibitionist now, Akiko asked. Maybe, Maria purred, and back at it they went. But as engrossed into what they were doing and despite how good it felt, Akiko couldn't let go of the feeling that someone could be out there watching them. The damn lights were still on and everything. They might as well be making a porno for whoever could be by. And then she felt like, they were being watched, and she snapped her head up in a very, at a very inopportune time for Maria and stared out into the darkness. Ugh, are you serious? moaned Maria, <laughs> and not in a good way. Sorry, said Akiko. I have to shut the window. It's freaking me out. Fine, said Maria. Just hurry, and then get back to exactly what you were doing. Akiko stood up, walked over to the window, feeling more naked than she'd felt in a long time, and as she shut the curtains, she thought she detected a dark figure standing at the edge of the wood, ducked back into the trees. <sighs> Come on, begged Maria. And Akiko finished shutting the curtains, telling herself it was nothing more than a trick of the light coming from the cabin, probably created by her own movement. And she put the whole thing out of her mind. 
She and Maria finished what they were doing, went and made those ice cream sundaes, watched an episode of Criminal Minds, they loved that show, and fell into a deep and very restful sleep. By the next morning, Akiko had mostly forgotten about feeling spooked. The two had breakfast, went for a walk up the road to a nearby trailhead, and went on a nice hike with great views of the lake. Came back, had lunch, played a couple games of Scrabble, had some afternoon delights, pumped up uh, some floaties and messed around in the lake where they got some sun, drank a few beers, then barbecued chicken breasts and baked sweet potatoes for dinner. Mm. After the two then read books by the water again, they came inside and watched a movie. Once again, the curtains were open, but in the living room this time, and they were both fully, uh, luckily they were both fully dressed. Still, it creeped Akiko out a bit, but Maria liked to have them open. She liked to be able to look out and see the lights of a few other houses in the distance. So open the curtain stayed. And after getting into the movie, a Shutter Island, Akiko forgot about it. But then when she got up to use the bathroom mid-movie, she turned and screamed. Jesus, what is it? Maria yelled. There, Akiko pointed. He was right there. Who? Maria was as freaked out as Akiko now. I don't, I don't know, said Akiko. I, I, I didn't really see his face, just a shape. Just a shape of a man. It was too dark to see details. And, and then he took off. Maria ran and grabbed one of the flashlights they'd brought, some mace she sometimes carried for protection, and walked out the front door. Where are you going? Akiko hissed. Maria ignored her. Anyone out here? She yelled. The cops are just a quick phone call away. No response. Akiko ran out to join her. She didn't want to be alone. And she followed Maria as she walked around the cabin to just outside the window Akiko thought she saw someone looking into. No footprints, babe. Are you sure you saw someone? She asked as she scanned the ground with the flashlight. The soil was soft and pretty bare. If someone had been standing there, it seemed very likely they'd leave tracks. I, I thought so, said Akiko softly, already questioning herself. I don't, I don't know. It's so dark. Maria, who knew Akiko could sometimes let a scary book or a movie really get her imagination going, said, Maybe Shutter Island wasn't the best choice tonight. You were already spooked last night. We're not used to being in the woods and all. Maria was trying as nicely as possible to tell Akiko she'd imagine the whole thing. And Akiko didn't feel like arguing with her. And to be fair, she didn't get a clear look at anyone's face, only the shadowy shape of something. But she'd definitely seen it move, hadn't she? Maybe the woods at night just really creeped her out. She didn't remember them ever bothering her before, but she'd also never really been camping growing up and had never been in a cabin surrounded by this much forest. She hadn't thought of the trip as a camping trip when they'd planned it. All the pictures of the place in the area were taken during the day. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. Maybe the movie did get to me, she said. I can finish it, though. I, I want to finish it. Can we just shut the curtains? Of course, Maria said as the two walked back inside holding hands and will lock the door. She then gave Akiko a big hug and said, uh... I didn't know you were such a, a scaredy cat before quickly adding, I don't mind, you're my scaredy cat. Soon the two were back on the couch, more ice cream sundaes in hand. Why do they taste so extra good in the summer on vacation? The two finished the movie, split a bottle of wine, and were ready for bed when the movie was over. Akiko was almost able to let go of the feeling that someone really had been outside watching them. Maybe still was. Almost. When the two climbed into bed, she started to wonder if whoever might have been outside the living room window was now standing outside their bedroom window. Luckily, this thought didn't quite prevent her from falling asleep, and before she knew it, she was waking to sunshine. Saturday. The last full day of their vacation on the island, at least. And it started out as another good one. The two decided to break things up a bit and get a little uh, breakfast at a spot on the island and grab some pancakes. After that, they wandered around town a bit, walking over to a little coffee shop, a few other gift shops, before heading back to the cabin for lunch. After eating, before going back down by the water for a final reading in the sun and maybe hopping in and out of the water session... Akiko walked around the cabin looking for footprints under any of the windows. Nothing. Maybe she really had just imagined it all, she thought. 
Just a few hours later, she and Maria would both be certain she had not. After making themselves a nice dinner inside, sitting down to watch another movie, after making sure the curtains to every window in the cabin had been shut, tap, 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 tap. It sounded like someone had just tapped on the window hard. Akiko and Maria both jumped, then stared at each other. What was that? Akiko whispered. I I don't know, Maria whispered back. Let me check it out. After pausing the movie, she walked over to the window, the sound it seemed to come from, then slowly pulled back the curtain. Nothing. No one there. She looked out the window, scanning as far left and as far right as she could, didn't see anything. When she turned back around to face Akiko, Akiko screamed, Behind you! Maria spun back around and screamed as well, the shadowy outline of what looked like a man, the face, no discernible features, but a definite intelligent-seeming presence, and Maria could feel it staring at her. Oh my god! She gasped. Tap, tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. Now they both heard tapping from behind another window, opposite the first, the window looking out onto the porch near the front door. What the fuck is going on? Maria wondered aloud. Akiko was, fro- Akiko was frozen silent in fear. Maria rushed over to the window, then threw the curtain back, and both women screamed. Another dark shape outside the window. It looked identical to the first, but when Akiko looked back towards the other window, that thing was still out there. There were two of them. Uh, bang! 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 More screams. Something was banging on the front door. Something was banging while both shadows looked into the windows. There were at least three things outside the cabin. Tap, tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. Now something was tapping on the glass from what sounded like outside of one of the bedroom windows. Tap, tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. Something else tapping on the glass and what sounded like outside of the bathroom window. The cabin completely surrounded by whatever these things were. Bang! 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 The front door again. The sound was different. More forceful. Loud. Bang! 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 Sounded like a fist. And then they finally heard a voice. Open the door and invite them in. It's the only way this ends. Maria and Akiko exchanged glances. The voice sounded human. When Akiko remained, fr- while Maki- Akiko remained frozen in place, Maria moved towards the front door. What? Do not open it! Screamed Akiko. I'm not! Hissed Maria. I just need to see who's out there. She looked through the peephole, saw a man on the other side, a living man, wearing a t-shirt and hoodie, clean-shaven, very short hair, maybe balding a bit, thin, plain-looking, very nondescript other than his eyes. His eyes were wide and wild with madness. He seemed to look directly back to the peephole, right into Maria's eyes. He repeated, sternly, open the door and invite them in. It's the only way this ends. Maria backed away from the door. Open the fucking door, lady! Bang, bang, bang! Someone's trying to break inside our cabin. Please send help now. Akiko's voice. While Maria had moved towards the front door, she'd called the police. The police force on the island was tiny, but luckily the lone officer out on patrol at that moment was nearby. Everything was nearby on the island. And he arrived within two minutes. The first minute they waited for him was hell. The madman on the front porch kept yelling for them to invite them in, other things still surrounding the cabin. Then maybe hearing the cop's car or seeing flashing lights approach, the man on the front porch left and with him the dark shadowy figures disappeared. No more tapping noise, no more dark faces in the windows. When the officer made it to the cabin, there was no one else nearby other than Maria and Akiko. But there was proof that someone else had been there. There were fresh tracks leading up to and then away from the front door in the loose soil. The man seemed to have been wearing boots of some kind that really cut into the ground, and he was moving fast when he left, leaving the deepest marks. And he left marks on the door with his fist where he pounded on it as well. So the officer did believe them about that, But as for the other things, there was no tracks, no marks on the window, no proof that anyone other than one man had been there. Akiko and Maria wanted to pack up and leave, but where would they go? Any hotel on the island would be full on a summer Saturday night. The ferry wouldn't leave again until the morning. The officer promised to hang around in the area for a bit, and that should the man return and they call, he would race back over. And that was the best that could be done. After the officer left, they packed up their things, huddled up on the couch, mace nearby, and waited for sunrise. So much for a relaxing weekend.
Neither slept much that night. They couldn't stop thinking about what the man said, about the dark watchers looking inside the windows. What would have happened if they would have invited them in? What did the man know about them? Why was he with them? They don't think those things ever returned that night. They don't know for sure all the curtains were closed again, but they didn't hear anything else. They didn't feel like they were being watched. They left on the ferry uh, first thing in the morning and drove back home. This happened roughly 10 years ago, and neither woman has any idea why they were watched that night or the nights before, or why the man wanted them to invite the shadows in. But they know something terrible would have happened to them if they had. What the fuck? I wasn't expecting the element of a real human. Mm-hmm. I would just assume that when you said, like, the open the fucking door, lady, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I just assumed that that was going to be another spirity thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, me too. It's a weird combo. Mm-hmm. Like something working in tandem. Uh-huh. Or something trying to get rid of something. Yeah. Like, what if they were haunting him? Mm-hmm. And he, he was like, please take it from me. Some fucking weird deal. I mean, there's uh. so many creepy possibilities. Uh, no pictures associated with the post, but I found one that just creeped me out, looking for like a creature looking in the window. Uh, no thanks. <sighs> Being out in the like, alone and having that thing at your window. Uh, I had so many like random little thoughts in my brain mm-hmm. about it. Like I was thinking, well, my aunt growing up, she lived out. My aunt Joyce, she lived mm-hmm. out in the middle of freaking nowhere. Like her yeah. driveway was, I don't know, I think it was like half a mile long, like gravel road just middle boondocks and their house sort of like sat up a little bit. Uh, you know, it was, it had a walkout basement. They had a shop over here, yeah. but it was just aside from that. And the only reason you could even see the shop is because of the light in the pitch of the roof. Yeah. And then it was just black. And I yeah. mean the blackest black I've ever seen because they were surrounded by woods and like mm-hmm. my cousin would race his dirt bike through the woods. I mean that's, you know, it was pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah. They would get uh, coyotes at their back doors. So, you know, really, really. And it is a different kind of dark. Yeah, especially like in just growing up like in, uh, you know, outside of town and stuff, especially if it's um like a cloudy night. If, if there's no light from the stars and the moon, like that makes such a difference in a mm-hmm. really like dark rural area. I mean, it is dark, dark. Once the lights of like the buildings mm-hmm. are out mm-hmm. and in small towns, you know, like, um, or really like rural areas, you know, you, you don't have like street lights nearby or anything. So once all those lights are out, overcast night, I mean, yeah, it is dark, dark. Your mom's house doesn't freak me out that way though. You know, it, uh, there's no woods around her. That must be why. And because it's like, and there's a, and there's lights uh, randomly, but the highway is not too far away. It's just enough light to keep it from being that like crazy darkness. It's um, Pinehurst where I used to live with my dad outside on town the other way. Yeah, that was like that. Is that when you lived in the shed? <laughs> yeah, yes, that was when I had a room in the shed for uh, two years. And I think like what you and Donna shared that room. Well, yeah, we shared it, that. It was building. divided by a curtain, curtain. and yeah. no, there was no heat. Um, space heater. Space heater. Like a, like a little portal, like you plug it in. When you took me out there huh? with uh, Jamie and Elliot, yeah, it's like you can say these words to me, <laughs> but then to see it, I was yeah. like, "The fuck was your dad thinking?" Uh, it was like camping. It was like we camped for two years. Camping is fun. <laughs> camping is yeah, fun. Yeah, like they had, the other house had running water, so that was good. Uh, we had a toilet in that in the shed. We had a shed toilet. Oh, you did. There was that was all. There was like a quote unquote bathroom. Mm-hmm. It was a cement. Uh, floor mm-hmm. and then plywood walls and I don't even think it had a window and it had one light like a bulb with a string that you pull mm-hmm. it was like a, it was like out of a Saw movie I was gonna say it's like an interrogation bathroom yeah like an interrogation bathroom and there was a, a toilet no literally nothing else like there was n- literally nothing else in the room other than the light bulb and the toilet no couldn't even mirror. wash your hands nope gross <laughs> 
How much pink eye did you get that year? I don't know. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, you know, it was, again, it was like a, it was like an extended camping trip. It's uh, yeah, it, it, it's why you're so um, resilient. <laughs> it makes it makes you appreciative. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, who doesn't love a bathroom? Yeah, who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. Who doesn't love a sink? Who do, who doesn't love a little heat? <laughs> My God, but that is like a different kind of uh, fear that could like come over you. Mm-hmm. But your, I don't know, your mom's house also. I think because of the way that your mom's house is set so far off of a road, it's like no one. I mean, a spirit, I guess, but no, like no physical person is sneaking up on that house. No, probably not. I mean, if they did. No, they would have to be a fucking wild lunatic. Correct. And and really, but like, where are they coming from? And there's one house below. They sold that one little piece of property. So there's like one neighbor down. But even still, the 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 road up is gravel. So it's like you you hear. Yeah, you'd have to, you have to like walk through the brush in the middle of the night. And like, why would you? Right. I mean, I always just think though, what would freak me out is like, yeah, but but the person who did do all that. Oh my God, they're dedicated. (laughs) They're dedicated and they're crazy as shit. But good thing. Your stepdad loves arsenal. guns. He has an arsenal. Yeah, he builds guns like as a hobby, just for fun. Yeah. I mean, he's not a lunatic. He just he likes a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, mean, I was like, I, he loves them. I I like a gun. He he. But yeah, I don't have the time to like get into it. Like he. Like no, he, but it's cool actually just no, talk he, to him because mm, he can talk about the mechanics and he'll make his own bullets and like he really has researched it and understands yeah. it. It's it's I actually think, fascinating. I think the gun notes would uh, gun notes would say he uh, enthusiasts would say he doesn't make his own bullets because he does he packs his own. Um, cause he put, he puts That's the powder right. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, in, in the, I, I'm bad. I always feel like self-conscious when I'm talking about this stuff. Cause I know that like enthusiasts are like, dude, you're getting it wrong, <laughs> There's so man. many. I, Aren't I, you from the country? I, I love people. Some people who are not from, uh, rural places, they get so freaked out about like people who are into guns. Oh yeah. Well, but, you're going to blow everything up. But you know, but you know who remind like people who are really into guns, they remind me of people who are really into like D and D and stuff. Those, those two groups <laughs> don't understand how close they are. Cause I was in, into both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, more into the DNA, but I was always around guns. Yeah. And it's like, you're both nerds. Like, you're both. <laughs> and, and I mean that in the nicest way. Like, I like nerds. But you could say but that it's like, about anything. Yeah, you could say that you about fishing. just get really fishing. into something. Right. You yeah. can say about fishing, hunting, yeah. nutrition, working out. It's like you just, yeah. you know, you hone in on that. And then you want to understand, mm. like, okay, how do I lift more weights at the gym? Yeah. If I eat like this and then I do that, I get this many hours of sleep, I Pe- take this yeah. creatine powder. You're right. It is all of the same. It's just nerdy. People, people get overly wor- worked up. They think that somebody who's really into, like, guns is, like, really into, like, wanting to kill people with guns. Right. No. It's not. It's just like, uh, it's just a hobby that you can get really into mm-hmm. because there's so many different little aspects of it. Yeah, you can like that's what my stepdad does. You can like change the amount of powder you put in to make like the the recoil less. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll make the bullet like travel a different way. Like you can really geek out on that stuff. I know it is fun to talk to Papa Timmy about it because mm-hmm. he's a mechanic by trade, and so also to talk to him. It's just transferring one skill set to the next. Yeah. It's like the way that he'll talk about, oh, this engine, I was working on this, I was working on this backhoe, I was working on, you know, whatever, all this crazy, there's always these huge pieces of equipment at your mom's property. Yeah. And I'm like, what are? how do you even work on something like that? It fascinates mm-hmm. me because I grew up in the city and you took your car to a mechanic and you dropped it off and we I didn't even see tractors. Yeah. Like it's just not yeah. a part of my childhood. So then to see him, I'm like, well, well, what do you need that for? And what does this do? And it's the same thing with the gun. I'm like, okay, well then what yeah. does that do? And what does this little pin do? And yeah, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. But, but please don't try and go get Papa Timmy because yes, he has he has an arsenal, oh. but he also doesn't see great. <laughs> and he's not an incredible shot. So please just leave him alone. No, he's, he's, just, he's a sweet guy. He's a sweet old man. Don't don't try to make him go Rambo because it might not his, work out well for him. His his hearing's not great. <laughs> he shuffles. 
<laughs> I just imagine Emerson and Donna listening to this, Dan's yeah. sister and our cousin, it, yeah. or cousin, Dan's sister and mm-hmm. our nephew, and just like they'll be laughing. It's, mm-hmm. So it's all valid. Yeah, no, he's great. Oh, he is great. But yeah, mm-hmm. so anyways, it just like took me back to that kind of darkness yeah. of like there is something to be said about the edge of the woods, right? Where like the light seems to just completely dissipate mm-hmm. and be absorbed into the trees and just a breeze, one little breeze can send your imagination flying, mm-hmm. which is what makes it fun, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I wish that I could remember who sent me this ring, but I have been, I don't want to flick everyone off. I've been wearing it nonstop since I got it. Like that a very cool. Isn't it cute? It's like a little like opal moonstone guy. You guys I love can't those. see it. I love those little, uh, yeah, opals, whatever they're called with like uh, little sparklies inside of them. It's a magical looking stone. Well, opals don't really have a sparkly inside of them. They're just, it's the way that they're cut. The no, different the like, ones facets. I'm thinking of have sparklies inside of Well, these of are them. opals. That's opal that you bought me. So are you thinking of something else? Mm. Are you thinking of diamonds? Nope. Oh. It's just there's little tiny specks of color stuff and reflective color stuff inside of them. I, don't know, maybe, I know maybe, what I'm talking about. Maybe we're talking about the same thing and I just don't. Listen, here's the thing. I don't want to tell you that you're wrong because apparently I do that too often. <laughs> there's been some backlash. Huh? Oh, boy. That like, I just don't let you... Be right? I don't know. I don't know. How dare I have I'm an too, opinion? I'm too beaten down to understand what's happening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a dick, this wouldn't even be a conversation. I'd be like, oh, these guys, they bust each other's balls. It's so funny. It's like, oh, Lindsay, whoof. Man, she's a bitch. It's like, oh, all right. Well, then. Eek. Well, I love you. Well, I love you, too. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I want to hear these uh, stories you got. Okay. So. Spo- spoop me. I'll spoop you. <laughs> that sounds dirty. <laughs> um, okay. So like I said earlier, this uh, this episode, this story has two photos at the end. And they're the exact same photos. Mm-hmm. I want to like say that now. The first one, it's just the photo that they took. And then the second one, they did it in black and white. Because when you look at it in black and white, you're like, oh, damn, there it is. Oh, okay. Okay. So whenever I see uh, a story, like as I'm reading through, and they're like, oh, pictures are attached. I am like a five-year-old. I can't read the story and then look at the pictures. I have to immediately scroll to the bottom, open the pictures, and use it as a a point of reference for when I'm reading the story. Yeah. And sometimes the photos are like, bullshit. Eh, I don't even see what you're talking about. When I opened this, I was on an airplane, Mm -hmm. and I did an audible, oh, shit. (laughs) And so I'm really excited about this story. So... Ready? I'm ready. Do you have a squishy? I do. I have a. I'll do you have black layla or purple layla? I'll go with purple today. Purple layla. I'll go with both. Ooh, one in each hand. Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried to um, get photographic proof of anything paranormal? I've never have. Me either. I've never actually gone on like. Well, I've never had a. I've never, yeah, experienced anything that would be worth trying to take a picture of. No, but I've also never like. Uh, well, I've never s- sought it out. And mm. I've also never. Okay, like when I'm home alone and I think I feel something or hear something, the most I've ever done is like m- like turn on my flashlight. I'm not turning on my camera because my oh, camera disables yeah. the flashlight. Yeah. So I've never tried to just take a photo in the dark and see what comes up. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Ooh. Hello, mistress of crystals and master of the suck. <laughs> my name is Stacy, and I had never heard of your podcast until one of my friends told me about it. And let's just say I was freaking hooked and have listened to every episode. I would have to say I used to be a skeptic about the paranormal. Quick backstory with the set to help with setup. We moved to Alabama because my ex-husband had found a job there. My dad already lived there and I thought the move would be easy, maybe even fun. After a few months of applying to various jobs with no calls back, I had a meltdown on my dad's shoulder and we decided it would be best to move our family back to Illinois. When we told my ex-mother-in-law that we were moving back, she was eager to help us find a home that we could move into right away. 
She found this old blue two-story house. I will never fucking forget this damn house. The upstairs was in particularly bad shape, so we opted to put the kids in the downstairs bedroom while we would sleep in the living room. We blocked the door to the upstairs to keep the kids out and keep them safe. It was truly that bad. Strange noises came from upstairs constantly. However, we brushed it off saying, it's an old house and old houses make noises. I heard something upstairs on a day that I was home alone. I thought I'd check it out since the kids weren't home and I wouldn't have to worry about keeping them out. I walked into one of the bedrooms and discovered there was glass all over the floor, the result of a window having been broken. Mind you, we hadn't had any strong winds and there weren't any tree branches that could reach this window. We notified the landlord and of course, the first words out of her out of her mouth were, one of your kids must have done this. I came fucking unglued. Lady, that upstairs is unsafe and we don't allow our children up there, I said and walked out. Fast forward about a month later, I found myself home alone again. I began to get myself ready as my ex-mother-in-law was coming to pick me up to run some errands. I turned on the music and got in the shower. And as I did, I heard my mother-in-law say, hey, Stacy, I'm here. I was in the shower, so I rushed out, threw on some clothes and ran out expecting to see her. But no one was there. I checked the front door and it was still locked. I immediately called and asked her if she'd just been at the house, to which she said, no, uh, I'm just getting ready to come over. Is there something that you need on my way? Totally baffled, I said, no, I'll, I'll just see you in a few. Another month goes by when my son woke me up in the middle of the night with a blood-curdling scream. I was holding him, trying to comfort him back to sleep when he said, Mom, Mom, there's a scary man behind you. There was not a chance in hell I was turning around to investigate. Simultaneously, my daughter was in their shared bedroom watching TV when she heard a noise behind her. She grabbed her old Motorola Razor flip phone and <laughs> aimed it in the general direction of where the noise had come from. Attached are the pictures of what she saw with the date and the timestamp for proof. The second photo I made, black and white, so you can see the figure. The figure was behind my son's bed. No wonder he woke up screaming. We did, in fact, get the fuck out two weeks after this photo was taken. Even after we moved out, we would sometimes drive by that old blue house, and it never failed that there would always be a man standing in the doorway. Hope you enjoyed this story about the house that will always haunt me. Okay, so now these okay. photos. Yeah, so thanks for sending that story. And these photos that Lindsay is going to show me for all the audio listeners, just a reminder, will be posted at uh, Scared to Death Podcast, Instagram, and Facebook. Correct, correct. Okay, so we're in her kid's bedroom, and her daughter, okay? So her daughter, you can kind of see something. Do you see it in the middle? The shape? Uh, yes, yes, okay? yes, yes. So this is like the color photo, if you will, taken back in 2012 at, what, 8 p.m. So, okay, so her son... Yeah, almost exactly 10 years ago. Okay, so like the son, like woke up, whatever, crying. The daughter and the son share a bedroom, right? Remember the house is mm -hmm. like in disarray. So now, Joe, the black and white photo... <laughs> oh my God, that's not... What the fuck? What the fuck? Can you go back to the first uh, picture, Joe? I literally can't. I literally can't. Oh my God. Whoa, and then the... Whoa, oh my god oh my god if that's not doctored and i, I mean I, i'm gonna try, i'm gonna take her at her word that it's not that is terrifying it's terrifying it looks like a little girl to me okay well to me it looks like a little boy holding something i can't look i i was so fucked to me it's up. a little girl in a dress that that really gives me the creep that's a really spooky picture jesus that's why i screamed on the plane man 
I mean, I don't see how that could be a trick of light. It's so it's clearly a face, dark hair. I know. The shoulders. And the son is with the mom at the time of this photo, right? So it's not even like the daughter woke up and heard something and was unsure and took the photo and then like saw her brother. It's like if you look close enough, you can like see that it was like behind something else. Like she says it's behind her son's bed. What the fuck? Man. Like alone, the story isn't enough to really like give that to elicit that reaction, but, but those photos make it a great story. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Man, that would weird. Yeah. I, well, I'm glad she got the fuck. I mean, that would that would creep me out too. Seeing something that definite yeah. and having it, you know, like be by the kids. Man. It only took her two weeks to get out. out. Two weeks. Good for you, Mama Bear. Good job. That's what we do. I don't know why the Wyrick family couldn't do that. Whatever their names were. Right. Yeah. That's all. Uh, yeah. You're right, Wyrick. Yeah. Oh. Anyways. Anyways. <sighs> do you want to go to England now? I love going to England. Okay, that sounds like fun. Um, yeah, I loved this story. It's it's a bit uh, lengthy. It happens during COVID lockdown. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it just... A series of things, but they're in this, like, workspace. And it's like... The girl, the person telling the story talks about how, like, in the setup, you know, about how her family was open to this and her mom really exposed them to these things growing up, talking about spirits, yada, 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 whatever. And it led me to wonder, like, if you grow up hearing about these things and then you see these things later in life, like something happens to you, are you more open to it because someone's been, like, kind of teaching you about it? Like, does it cause you to be like, oh, okay, like, more relaxed about it? Or... Or are you always on edge that something's going to happen? <laughs> like, uh. I guess it depends on your temperament, you know, just like different mm -hmm. for each person, you know, like, um, yeah, I can, I can, cause I could see it going either way. Probably yeah. does go different ways for different people. Yeah. Well, my family did not encourage any of this. And so I, I would, I would think I would just be, I don't know how I'd react. I guess until you're there, I, I would think if I was, it was encouraged when I was growing up, maybe I would just be acclimated to it. Yeah. Maybe that's a great word for and it. Just like, eh, it's just like how it's part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some some words in here are more uh, proper English, so I didn't change it because I didn't want to change the tone of the story. So read it in, a, if, read it in an accent. No, my I always have you ever seen uh, <laughs> I Love You Man? Uh, yeah, with you and Paul Rudd. The only accent he can kind of pull off, but still horrible, is like a drunk leprechaun, <laughs> and I, it's it's like it starts off strong for one second and then it's downhill. I have to rewatch that. I love that movie so much. <laughs> okay, so I will not be doing an accent, but I will dive into the story. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. I've very recently found Scared to Death and have been listening through the episodes with great enjoyment, and I'm definitely a creep. I usually listen to the podcast at work with keen interest and entertainment, but one particular episode stopped me dead in my tracks as I sat wide-eyed at the stack of neatly folded sweaters in front of me. I'm a 22-year-old avid horror fan that was brought up in a family of six, very divided on all things supernatural. My mom's side of the family being extreme believers, whilst my dad's side being completely against anything. My dad, scoffing at all the things, would never, however, interfere with my mom exposing us to the supernatural. She took us along to mediums and ghost nights, shared personal stories, and would keep us in the loop of hauntings within our family. I say all of this just to set the scene that I am not only a strong believer in the supernatural, but very welcoming and calm about the overall concept. Not much scares me regarding hauntings. All supernatural experiences, experiences that I've had, I've remained calm and unafraid thanks to my mom's influence. That was, however, until I started my job as a stockroom manager at an outlet Hollister store. It all began with shadows. 
The stockroom had high warehouse ceilings and was made up of a maze of half walls and three meter tall rolling bays. All fluorescent lights, white walls, metal, and concrete. I would be working at my desk, facing a wall, when I would see the dark, distinct shape of a person walk by out of the corner of my eye. No alarm bells were risen, I worked with a lot of people, and co-workers would often come and go from the stockroom. What would throw me off was when I would realize no one was actually around. Nobody had walked past, and no one was currently in the stockroom with me. I'd never seen anybody leave or heard anyone make a noise. After realizing this, I became more and more aware of my surroundings. I would always check to see who was in the stockroom with me, but not frantically. It was just so that I would know when I was truly alone. The presence of these shadows became so regular and routine that it stopped bothering me. I would be far down one of the bays when I would see the shadow of a person walk by, or I would be chatting with coworkers and see another shadow hurry past, only to disappear when I turned my head towards them. I wasn't particularly uncomfortable with any of these happenings. It wasn't until listening to Scared to Death that I discovered the existence of shadow people. Using the knowledge I'd, I had grown up with, I'd come to the obvious conclusion of ghosts. The ghosts were never threatening, nor did they interfere with myself or anyone else, so I had let it be. It went on like this for months, me and my coworkers discussing, discussing the weird happenings and then continuing with our days. I even brought it up to my older sister, who worked in the same store before I did, to which she breezily responded, Oh yeah, that place is definitely haunted. We always used to say that. Weird shit happened all the time there. It was early in the year when things changed. The stockroom got extremely cold. The concrete walls, high ceilings, had no heat. I was bundled up in my coat and scarf, organizing some clearance stock down one of the back bays. The bays were just over three meters tall, a light metal, light metal with rows and rows of shelves filled with carefully organized merchandise. The space in between was wide enough to comfortably work in, but no more than that. Others were in the stockroom, a little further away from me, and I could hear their chatting at a low murmur. I'd just been finishing up, placing the last few items in the assigned shelf when I turned and saw something that stopped me dead in my tracks. I was looking straight at a hulking, dark figure. The man was almost as tall as the bays themselves, standing roughly 2.5 meters and had no distinct features, but I knew it was a man. He wore smart clothes, a long coat, and more importantly, a hat. He was pure shadow, yet I could see every single one of these features clear as anything. I stood frozen, and then the thing advanced. It was quick, all-consuming, and seemed to grow in size, and then just as it stood only a few feet in front of me, it was gone, seeming to evaporate into thin air. It all happened in just a few seconds, and then it was over. Paralyzed with fear, I tried to get my heart rate under control before exiting the bay and facing my co-workers. I tried to forget about the experience, and things went back to normal. Shadows of people that didn't exist walking around the store like they were part of the furniture, but there was no reappearance of the hat man. The world then fell into disarray, COVID sending the country into lockdowns over and over again. Eventually, management was able to continue working in the closed store, packing and sending out online orders. It was late and dark outside, and only two of us were working in the store. The rest of the shopping center was isolated. Every other store completely shut down. Myself and my heavily pregnant co-worker sat in the stockroom, packaging items to be transferred out. We'd been doing it all day, and due to her pregnancy, my co-worker remained seated as I was collecting the boxes to tape up and place near the back door. The stockroom was clear and organized, and all that remained were the 15 to 20 sealed boxes scattered around the shop floor, which had to be moved to the back door to be shipped out. I made my way to the shop floor, instantly uneasy. 
Our store was unlike others, as it didn't have rooms, just one big open floor plan. The entire shop floored... The entire shop floor sprawled in front of me, surrounded by floor-to-ceiling windows looking out into the darkness. The lighting, as usual, was dim, with bright spotlights over the center of the room where the cash registers were placed. I shook myself out of it and started collecting boxes, stacking them up, carrying them out to the back so they could be easily picked up. It was my third trip onto the floor when I saw it, or rather, her. I had only just exited the stockroom door when I saw her clear as day. Crouching next to a bin of hangers, under the bright lights of the cash registers, was a woman. Elderly and haggard, she struggled to stand, barely holding herself up. She didn't appear to be clothed, and her hair hung white, stringy, and thin around her shoulders. Her face was expressionless, yet she stared directly at me. My stomach plummeted, and I turned, hurrying back into the stockroom without grabbing any more boxes. I sat down on my chair opposite my coworker, heart still racing, eyes wide. I tried to remain calm. No one else was around, and my coworker was just a few weeks off her due date. I didn't want to panic her with something which I was hoping I had just imagined. After roughly 10 minutes, still shaken but breathing easier, I decided to mention something. I had to tell someone what I had seen. I began with a laugh, telling her not to worry because it definitely was a figment of my imagination, and then proceeded to tell a watered-down version of what I had seen. Safe to say, she was completely freaked out. That night when I got home from work, I tried to explain to my mom what I had seen, but ended up getting so worked up we started arguing, a rare occurrence for us. I spent the rest of the night crying in my room trying to figure out if it would be worse if, I had se- if what I had seen was real or if I was experiencing some kind of psychosis. The stores reopened for two weeks before another lockdown, and once again, the store was only open to management, working two at a time in the closed store, empty outlet, filling online orders for the whole day. It was early in the lockdown, and I was working with a co-worker and friend, Ollie. He was doing work at the manager's desk out back as I collected items from the shop floor. I was on the opposite side of the store, two or three pairs of men's jeans draped over my arms, a few t-shirts and sweaters thrown over my shoulder, filling an order. It was daytime, and I was feeling light as I made my way across the floor to get to the stockroom door. About halfway there, however, I felt myself being sharply tugged backwards. I was in complete clearing of the floor. No rails, tables, or even walls anywhere for me to get stuck on. I took a deep breath and continued my walk to the stockroom. Unceremoniously dumping the items on one of the prep desks, I quickly found Ollie explaining to him what had happened. He looked at me with amusement, clearly not believing a word I said. I laughed along with him, but kept my stance. I knew what I had felt. A few shifts later, I was working with another coworker and friend, Katie. I promptly told her all the things that happened, to which she responded intrigued and excited, informing me that she too had experienced weird things in the building. I felt safe in that moment to confide in her, telling her what I had seen. I described the man in great detail and clearly remember likening him to the character the Babadook. I, mm. I, needed, to be, I needed her to understand how horrifying it truly was. Katie was shaken by my story, but I felt better to be sharing these things with her. I worked the remainder of the lockdown shifts with Katie. We kept each other updated on things that would happen, noises and movements, the presence of shadow people and things like that. It was midway through our shift a few weeks later when we heard it. Thump. It was coming from the back wall. Thump, thump. Something heavy pounding on the wall. We went out to the shop floor to inspect. 
finding nothing. No movement in the service yard behind the store. No movement within the building. And then we heard it again. Thump, thump, thump. Bang, bang, bang. Smacking on the wall. Again and again and again. We could not get it to stop. Completely flummoxed and more than a bit creeped out, we hid out back, almost cowering in the stockroom, waiting for the noises to stop. And eventually it did, and we just had to carry on with our work as if nothing had gone on. The months went on, stores reopened, and shadow people continued to lurk around every corner. I have since left that job and am no longer plagued with the constant constant presence of somebody just behind me, but the memories of those years still sit on my mind. I continue to double-check every shadow and hope that the hat man and his female friend decide I'm better off left alone. Many thanks for reading and keep up the good work, Victoria. Thanks, Victoria. Yeah, warehouse kind of setting. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah, I don't know why that doesn't come up more, you know, because there's so many of those structures around, and it's, uh... Come on, Amazon. Where's your hauntings? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that's a that's a uh, just a different kind of creepy place. Like, I like I that this week we went to a cabin, mm-hmm. which is a setting we haven't been too much, if that ever, too much? before. I guess maybe we, I mean, we had to have been at some point. Sure, but, but very, you know, very sporadic. Little. And then a warehouse, just because those are like, I don't know, the warehouse is like so many shadows. Mm-hmm. And just, um, especially like with the, all the boxes and things around, like lots of places for something to hide. Yes. Yeah, I would just be, after seeing things in a situation, uh, in a place like that, I would be so on edge all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's so um, massive. Mm-hmm. So I think about a good action movie where there's some, you know, mm-hmm. chasing and they end up in a yeah, It's a great place warehouse. for that. Yeah, it's great. So if yeah. you dim the lights mm-hmm. and it's one person running away from some unseen force, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. She's so calm. She's like, yeah, I see shadow people. No big deal. I'm like, (laughs) are you okay? Baba Duke kind of looking creature. And then it's like, well, yeah, you know, they're around. I know. And it also, this story made me think like, Victoria was listening to our show when she first heard the term shadow people. And I thought like, we take that as like common knowledge. Like, oh, of course, you know, shadow people, but different, different countries, Mm -hmm. different uh, religious sects. Like they all have their own little set of beliefs or characters within the paranormal. It's like, oh yeah, you could go your whole life without knowing about this other thing that could get you. Well, and especially like that, just the terminology where it's like there's been shadowy entities Mm -hmm. showing up in stories for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the term like shadow man Mm -hmm. or the hat man. The hat man clearly was up. Like when she says she stopped mid episode, I'm sure it was an episode about hat man. Like, Mm -hmm. oh shit. That those specific terms and kind of like giving them their own like subcategory, I think is fairly newer. I think, I think, I think, I think, I think it only kind of comes from the internet age. Oh, right, because, you know, just the sharing of it and mm-hmm. the terminology and then, like, the Googling yeah. of, like, wait, what's that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think those they, – they, cert- they certainly didn't exist when I was growing up, and, and I don't remember ever hearing about any of those before the show. Not that I was looking really oh, hard, yeah. but I am, like, a horror fan, and I don't remember ever uh, – you know, I think, like, the creepypasta type forums and, like, those communities mm-hmm. uh, where it's, like, that horror fiction and, and then also, like, ghost forums where people are sharing yeah. uh, supposedly true ghost stories. When those things started to get popular, mm-hmm. I think – in that in that era is when the terms like shadow people, shadow man, hat mm-hmm. man, and stuff started to come about. Well, and then there's like different rituals. I was prepping a story for uh, a future episode, and this the fans and in the story, I don't want to give away too much, just about this game, like table up, table up. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Reading, I was like, oh, that's like light as a feather, stiff as a board. Mm, you know, just different names for the same games. Similar, not oh. the same, but yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. but just like, yeah, there are so many iterations of the different things that we do mm-hmm. that I love hearing these stories that yeah. 
expose us to more terminology. I mean, it's terrifying to be ter- to be exposed to more demons, but yeah. it's like, well. Well, it was like that thing we found out, I don't know, four, five, six episodes back. I want to say it was uh, Uruguay, um, the cup game. Oh, yeah. Where it was uh, Ouija board, mm-hmm. but just a different way to do it that I yeah. never, ever heard of that yeah. apparently was fairly common there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, I like it. I mm-hmm. like that. The show has been going on for 133 episodes, mm-hmm. and we're still learning. Mm-hmm. We're still discovering new scary things, and and no shortage of stories too. Like we Mm-mm. have this like uh, a good little vault now of stories that like Sarah Finch and Sophie Evans and Olivia Lee have worked on, and ones that I found like in these you know like Dropbox you know folders, yeah. and uh, you know I'll go You're in giving there. away all of our inside secrets. <laughs> no, but I'll go in there and like check, and you know like because I you know we I talk to them well, yeah. about like, what stories they're finding. Is that a, is that right for the show? Is it not? And I'm always like, oh wow, I can't believe I hadn't heard of that. Mm-hmm. Can't believe you know. And and then sometimes when I'm looking further into them to get more source material. Uh, the search will bring up something similar mm-hmm. that was like a a very you know uh, infamous exorcism story yeah, from like yeah. 1988 that I had literally never heard of mm-hmm. and I'm like man there's no shortage yeah it's I love having the the researchers on your side just dig into the corners of the internet because what interests one person will take them yep. down a completely different path than the next person so it gives us such a great. Mm-hmm. Base. Well, like Sarah's UK based. Yeah. And just like, you know, the web searches that she does mm-hmm. and the and the local kind of book she has access to yeah. are just stories that, you know, we would not find. And then, you know, Olivia Lee is down south. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed she'll find a lot of regional stories mm-hmm. that like, I don't even, I'm like, I wouldn't have ever come across that. Yeah, because it's like just mm-hmm. folklore that you grow up with. Colloquialisms mm-hmm. almost. And then yeah. Sophie has like, you know, she has her own quirky interests. Uh-huh. In just life in general. Yeah. And like, yeah, no, she's great. And, and like, you know, in, in those kind of stories. And so she'll find stories that I would never see, seek out. Oh, Sophie. She's been with us for so long. I feel like we watched her grow up. The longest. Yeah. I, I, I have like an emotional attachment to Sophie. Mm-hmm. Like she, um, when we, uh, when, I, when Time Suck, you know, start in its infancy. Yeah. She was one of the very first people to reach out about like volunteer research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's been with us for almost the whole time of time, like five years. Yeah. I know. I really want to, I need to ask her when she started exactly because it was obviously pre-pandemic. Was she a freshman in college? I mean, mm-hmm. she's going to no, she graduate this year. I know she's going to graduate. I get like misty eyed. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, her little girl. After t- <laughs> after taking like a, a gap year because of the pandemic, yeah, she's going to, yeah, she's, oh, so. she's, she's, she's already out there in the world, but she'll be mm-hmm. out there in a different way. Yeah. I love that kid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we do some shout outs? Yes. Shall I go first or would you like to go first? How about, how about you go first? I would love to. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> I would like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us donate to uh, this month's charity, New Orleans Community Fridges, and for helping us build up our scholarship fund. Captain Fuzzy Buttons, <laughs> Danny the Hair Slayer, Katie Milton, Maddie Gorman, Cody Conup. Victoria Eschlinson, uh, no, Eschlinson, Victoria Eschelson, Daisy May, Edward Parker, Tom Stack, Lana Reagan, Trey Cleveland, Stephanie Art, uh, Stephanie Aker, Brittany Lucas, Lori Burton, Ricardio the Heart, Jeffrey Hiltz, Eric A. Warner, Jared Powell, Jay. Colvert, John Parker, that was a lot of J's, Eden Padilla, Sandra Mabry, Ashley Flynn, Katie D, Kylie Wable, Janelle Johnson, and Eli Sherman. I love Danny the hair slayer. That's got to be a hairstylist. 
No, you think? <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles also for supporting us. And yeah, supporting the Charities and Scholarship Fund. Taylor Lawson, Kimberly Williamson, Stephanie, Haley Adams, Jacqueline Flores, Stephanie Baham, Gabrielle Michael Hugo, uh, Celtics Dreamer, or Celtics Dreamer. Could be the basketball team, so I'll say it both ways. Could be the Boston Celtics or just Celtics. Uh, Kristen Wells, Angelo a- Andrzejewski. Debbie Thornton, go, go Poland on the right now. The yeah. uh, all uh, the skis. All the skis. Annette DeMello uh, or DeMeo, Cameron Zinda, Buria Villegas, Benjamin Love, AJ Smith, Debbie Shuck, Parker Jolly, Trey Stanley. Parker Jolly, if I'm saying Jolly right, it's two L's. That's like a very fun, like, it just. I hope, He's I a hope, jolly guy. I hope. I hope so. You if, better be happy. I would. I would love it if Parker Jolly is like a misanthrope, just like a really, <laughs> just like ugh, just a just a frustrated person, just to have that name. Um, Trey Stanley, yeah, Josh C, Bobby Seeley, uh, Michaela Chacon, Sheldon Ladoski, go Poland, Kylie Bird, Autumn Lawson. And uh, I thought I, I don't know why I paused. Like there's gonna be one more and Autumn Lawson. <laughs> okay, good job. Uh, I have the following spooky sh- shout outs. I'm over here laughing at myself because I know what this is supposed to say versus what I read. So let's okay. do this two times. What I wrote was to Jessica from Ian, your mom and wife. <laughs> 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 what it's supposed to say is to Jessica from Ian, you're an amazing mom and wife. <laughs> I don't know why it's making me laugh so. That hard. is funny. Like I'm Ian. I'm your mom and wife. I'm your mom wife. <laughs> just just me, Ian, your mom, wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's killing me. To Nate from from Bug, a.k.a. Abby, happy birthday. To Aria from Mom and Dad, we love you. You're going to do great. I don't know what you're going to do great at, but I bet it's everything. Oh. And, and that's our show. <clears throat> Excuse oh, me. Yes. Yeah, lost my way. Thanks for uh, continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith and Liz Hernandez for their work on social media. And to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, and to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listeners' stories for book number three now. Woohoo! After doing the previous uh, book, two books. Two books. Thanks, for produ- thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding the first story I told this week, and I was able to find the second. Oh, all on your own. (laughs) Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content at Scared to Death Podcast and the pictures from the shows. This week, you have to go look at the pictures from my story. You have to. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, full of horror lovers. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want to hear any ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon. Get the entire catalog ad-free and more. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 